happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to Kayak Fishing Weekly, the newest show on the Serious Angler Podcast Network dedicated to everything kayak fishing. My name is Bailey Eichbrett, and I'm joined here with my counterpart, Mr. Justin Largen. Hey, hey. We got week one, episode one, out of the way. We're on to week two. How are you feeling so far? Are you sick of podcasting? Not at all. Not at all. There's there's definitely the, the technical side. I'm I'm learning. You know, we've we've had a few little little hiccups, but I feel Most like that's many. normal. And uh yeah, the the actual talking fishing part, I'm loving. I'm loving. <laughs> yeah, and the the uh the operational part has been one hundred percent my fault <laughs> where Justin and I literally got what, maybe five minutes into episode one and I never clicked record. <laughs> I can't say anything. I don't. I, I'm. I still have no idea how any of this works. It's like it's amazing that my microphone and the he- I've got the headphones today. I'm feeling. I'm feeling uh, professional now. Yeah, I, I kind of almost feel a little bit more stressed on this one, if you will. Not not in a bad way, but like serious angler. Andy and I just click play and go. Like we don't really have any sort of structure. And I actually like we have some sort of structure to this one. Like you and I have like an actual somewhat of an outline of the show to make sure we don't forget anything. But like, sure. yeah, it's like somewhat more like there's editing to it. We're serious angler. Like we just click start end and then publish. There's, there's no, there's no behind the scenes work done on that. So I don't know. I, I enjoy it though. Cause I think in the end it'll be all worth it because we're excited about this for the, for the kayak fishing space. And I'm excited for our first episode where we have a guest. Yes. And our guest yes. today is a gosh dang hammer, uh, a good pal of ours. And uh, one that I have looked up to in the space, one that I feel like we some, we fish somewhat alike. So I like to pick his brain on a lot of things. I think he he's very good at articulating things when it comes to fishing, which is why I think we both agreed he'd make for a great guest numero uno. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. He's one of those names that I would hear a lot. And then, uh, you know, when I finally got to compete against them, uh, usually I'm looking looking up in the standings. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's. I don't think there's been an occasion where I've looked down and I'm like, oh, I beat, I beat Adam. I don't, I don't think that's ever happened. Um, but uh, before we get Adam on here, there's a couple things obviously we're gonna go over. Um, being that we told you guys we'll be trying to keep our best finger on the news and things of that to keep you guys up to date what's going on, whether it's tournament fishing or just kayak fishing industry uh, in general. Uh, and right now, obviously, there's not too much buzz. Uh, industry-wise, um, of course, when there's going to be new models of kayaks, things like that, we can be here to unveil those. But right now, it's it's kind of the heat of the schedule announcements for next year for kayak fishing tournaments, uh, and it's the heat of championship season, and specifically for for you two. I get to sit here in, in cold New York while it's, I had a couple inches of snow and, and cheer on you guys. As this episode is dropping, you'll be getting ready to fish day one of the Hobie Tournament of Champions. Are you feeling ready for it? Not really. <laughs> Looking forward to it, but ready. Uh, we, when Hobie made the announcement, I think they made it at the the Bassmaster Championship or at the Classic Expo. So around the same time as we were finishing up uh, the Bassmaster Championship, which was also on Chickamauga, and I did absolutely terrible. Uh, I've I've been down there a couple of times now. I've had two top ten finishes when there's water in the lake. And then in the springtime and when we're going to be there, you know, it's like something like five to seven foot below normal pool. So all the stuff where I know how to catch fish is out of the water. So hey, 
All it is is it means there's less water you have to look for. That's all it is. There you go. Yeah. So I'm, um, I feel as good as I possibly can feel about it, but you know, I'm under no illusion that this is like setting up for me to go down there and just whack them. So, now, well, if there's one thing I've learned about using anglers, is that you are very strong mentally in regards to you keep an open mind about it. So I got faith. Uh, same with same with our guest today. We're gonna, we're going to tap in. He's, he seems very strong when it comes to TVA, and I got a feeling like he's pretty excited for this one, but. Um, before we move on to that, obviously, Tournament Champions, as this episode is being dropped, um, is about to begin. Uh, so we'll keep tabs on that, especially social media-wise, keep you guys up to date on things that might transpire throughout that event. Um, for our Northeastern folk, uh, the Elite Kayak uh, schedule has been announced. Uh, so we'll run through that really fast for you guys, but we'll link it down below too. Uh, May 4th at Great Sacandaga Lake. Uh, June 22nd at Raystown Lake, uh, July 20th at Lake Winnipesaukee. Did you fish that event when Hobie went up there? I did. That's my uh, my win was up there. You it, would not uh, believe what my wife's cat is doing behind me right now. But what I can't I can't see it. All right, don't even worry about him. If he, <laughs> hey, his decisions are his decisions, man. So, survival the fittest. Uh, August 17th at St. Lawrence River. Uh, September 21st at Kennebec River, and then October 12th and 13th for the championship at Candlewood Lake, which that one is going to be a smash fest, I will admit. Um, so as these schedules come out, we'll try to do our best to keep you guys up to date on what's coming out. And I'm sure as the, the major trails have announced theirs, we'll have like a little preview show, if you will, or at least a segment dedicated to those. But uh, uh, anything else across industry-wise that I may have missed there, Justin? Not in the industry, but I am curious about some of those lakes because I'm I'm a little further south. So I've I've been to Candlewood, or at least close to Candlewood. I've been to Winnipesaukee, but I I don't know anything about those other lakes. So what what's your take? Is that a good schedule? Or those is that going to be fun? Is that setting up well for you, or or is that would that set up well for for someone that's more my style, or maybe maybe both? So the two on here, Racetown Lake and Kennebec River. Um, I believe Kennebec's up in Maine. I did I did a little bit of searching this morning when it was announced, and uh, they looked they looked good. I I, did, I have no idea about them. I mean, the main one looks pretty cool because it's up in Maine in the middle of nowhere. Um, same okay. with like Great Sacandaga, where that's an Adirondack Lake, where it's up in the mountains, beautiful scenery. It's just it's just riddled with super super tiny fish. But if you're a guy that likes electronics, it is an amazing place to go graph because it's like a it's a sunken uh, valley with a bunch of like old town and everything's there. Like when the water's down, the um, the church, like the cross on top of the church, sticks out of the water. Uh, like you can it's see a, like the houses and the church. Yeah, and stuff? it's like a city down there. It's pretty gnarly. Um, it definitely has giant fish in it, but it's like a get seventy, you know, seventy high inches, and you might be in the top ten kind of place. Okay, so somebody that wins could have like a low nineties, if that makes any sense. But. Um, selfishly for me no it doesn't set up well because just about every event is on top of one of our nykbf events which is numbers wise probably one of the biggest if not the biggest local trail in the northeast which it's kind of a big bummer but uh it looks like i can make lake winnipesaukee so i might try to make that because if you top five one you can make the championship because i really want to fish candlewood because that sets up perfect for me um I'm bummed about the St. Lawrence River event. I can't make that one because I love St. Lawrence River, especially if they'll have the lake open. 
because I love getting out there. That's from Big Old Great Lake Smallies. But... I've seen some of your Instagram posts on that lake. <laughs> I do enjoy me some Ontario smallmouth. I, I don't think anybody doesn't enjoy themselves some Ontario smallies, but uh, nonetheless, um, as those get closer, we'll you know we'll talk about schedules and things of that nature. But um, for now, Justin, I'm excited about our guest for today because we're gonna get Adam on here to talk about. There, there's so many different topics we can we can have Adam on every single show because I feel like he's very well versed. But what we're intrigued about here is going to a brand new body of water in a kayak. Uh, and the different variables you look for when it comes to breaking down such a piece of water. When because in a kayak you're confined, you know, right? There's only you're, you're not very, you can't be very fast. You know, there's not too much water that you can cover. Uh, so like from the get go, you know, how you break those down. So I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited to talk about that with Adam. Yeah, I feel like there's a, a lot of different ways. It's like you wouldn't think that there are, but the, I feel like there's different ways you can do it. I kind of know how I do it. And I'm, I'm curious to hear how he does it. Yeah. So I guess without further ado, let's bring him on here. Mr. Adam Reiser. Going on, man. Howdy, guys. Bailey. Justin. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you. Glad to be. Am I the official first guest? You are. The you are the wow. What a privilege. First guest. <laughs> what a privilege. Thanks, y'all. Happy to be yeah. here. For sure, man. I think you got the best backdrop of us all right now. We're. I'm sure you wish you were there in that backdrop. <laughs> yeah, we're we're looking at a uh, for for the the video watchers of this, or I guess for the audio ones, I'll describe it to you instead of just my normal background. The office here uh, got a photo that's from this summer when I went out with some uh, buddies out on a creek. Just maybe what is that? Twenty minutes down the road, I'm in, I'm just west of Nashville, Tennessee, and that's one of our little summer creeks where. When uh, it's that dog days of summer, and if you're not getting that first of the day or late of the evening bite, it's kind of tough to get a bite around here. So you can always go down to uh, the creeks and the rivers uh, in Middle Tennessee and, and catch you a small mouth and maybe a spot or a large mouth too. And that's what that is, just one of our, our little areas where you can cool your, your ankles on a hot day and, and do that. But I guess we're kind of getting out of that time of the year now. That's what that photo is. That's what the background is. And so it's thinking back of warmer times of a few weeks ago because that ain't the case anymore that that is my kind of place yeah so I, I love doing that in summer. You, justin hmm? yeah so it's probably screaming at you justin oh yeah yeah skinny water where you're gonna have to portage a few times just to nice. get to the next kind of deep hole like that's what we do and it's, it's my favorite thing to do in the summer i don't, I don't consider myself a, a well-versed river guy um, I like the big open water usually if I'm, if I'm bass fishing, but man, on a, on a hot summer day, I love how I just take two or three rods, maybe a tackle box. Even if I t- take up, I'm more likely to bring a cooler than I am to bring a tackle box where just keep it simple. So much of the tournament stuff is so, you know, thought out and, and premeditated and you're trying not to hook into the fish that you find. And so like when I get a chance just to have fun on the rivers around here locally, I'm, I'm just, I, I want to keep it simple and make it as fun as possible and don't everything. I just want to take three lures. That I think will be fun to throw that day and see what I'll eat. Them. I dig. I wish I could have that mindset. I was literally just telling Justin on last week's episode that I'm horrible when it comes to tackle because I try to force myself to bring two or three rods when I go simple fun fishing, but that turns into, Oh, I might make five casts doing this mm-hmm. five casts doing that. And it turns into 15 rods and then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to just need to force myself in that mindset. So total tangent right now, I, I pre-warned everybody 
on the first show that I'm horrible when it comes to tangents because I get distracted. ADHD, right? Um, with that, with that creek, but you mentioned that's a dog days of summer deal. Does that get bad in the fall? Like, does it become harder or is it just everywhere else around you just gets better? So you can go back to your, uh, it definitely, it, it has, again, I'm not the guy to ask between, um, uh, R- Russ Snyder's is who I live with. He's my roommate and he's, he's a true river guide. And he'll tell you his favorite thing to do is to get after the small mouth and the small moving waters around here. And then I got another buddy or two that almost that doesn't do tournaments, but almost exclusively throws the big swim baits and, and the skinny, small moving waters. And usually I just let those guys tell me like, Hey, where should we, where's the put in the takeout? And I'll be one of the, the vehicles for the day. And I, I just kind of show up, but um, it can, yeah, there's a couple stretches that are good in the winter time. Obviously you want to find those like stacked up wintering holes, like usually those deep holes where some of those small mouth are really getting into. And then if you don't have the wintering holes, uh, the winter patterns that you got to get into around here after a warm rain, when you, the feeder creeks feed into the main river. And I'm talking like, it can be like a, a, a ditch, not even like a Creek Creek, literally just some warm rain runoff. And that can turn into big winter days too, where they'll eat moving baits. Like it's a uh, middle of the summer or something, but um, in that it's pretty tough. It seems like during the winter time, I'm usually looking to slide over to Del Hollow or like a Highland Reservoir where you can mm. turn on the electronics and, and go after that. And and if you're doing the moving waters in the cold time too, it's kind of dangerous. You know, you don't want to go in the water. It's, it's great going in there in the summertime, but you ain't trying to hit that strainer in the middle of the winter time. Next thing you know, hyperthermia is a, a real threat. So I don't like doing like stuff that has really sketchy strainers or moving water if I don't have to in the winter time again i got buddies that are hard chargers and they go for it but i tend to pump the brakes a little bit i hear that yeah it's almost about that time i was saying it earlier where I woke up to a few inches of snow up here in buffalo oh, did you really dang oh yeah so it's almost about that time where you know people up here in the north will be whipping out their wetsuits and things like that for uh trying to be safer while fishing I, i'm still one of the dummies that just goes out and normal winter clothes even though it's 38 degree water but we'll, uh, we'll get to that episode <laughs> at some point yeah the dry seats and all that good stuff yeah that yeah see so i can't even name the dang thing right that tells you how much i i wear but uh yeah nonetheless today's today's topic talking about brand new water you show up to a lake you've never been to before obviously you know those your smaller acreage lakes are rather you can you can break them down pretty quick in a kayak, but some of the lakes that are on you know some of the national tournament schedules they're they're pretty dang big bodies of water, uh, so it can be you know if you only have a day or two to show up and try to figure something out, it can be kind of overwhelming from a kayak. If, and but like yourself having a lot of experience, you know you've seen a lot of different locations and bodies of water, places that are very unique to each other. Uh, we kind of want to run through with you kind of some of the variables you would look at on a brand new body of water when you're in the kayak, obviously you're confined to uh, certain limits, if you will, but what you look for universally, that makes sense. It does make sense. And it's a good question too, because you asked me that question a year ago and my answer is a little bit different than what it is now. And that, that changing factor is live scope is, is electronics. Like, um, even pr- I, I've, I've been using live scope since January this year, January, 2023. Um, I'm still learning it and I haven't been fishing a whole lot in the last few months either. And my fishing has been like without electronics and on skinny water too. 
So even though it's my first year with LiveScope, I've got a lot to learn, but that piece of technology changes how you can break down, show up at a new place or any place um, and decide what you want to do. So I'll preface it in saying that I'm still learning how to practice with LiveScope, but my foundation for showing up to a new place, no matter what size it is, I kind of use the method, what I call getting a head count. Um, I like finding how dense the population of all the different species are in that lake for one, knowing what species they are and how many of them are there so that, you know, am I graphing up a bunch of drum? Is it a bunch of yellow perch? Is it like bluegill? Uh, Maybe it's a body of water that um, doesn't have a lot of biodiversity or just a lot of bass in general. And so if you mark any fish, that's something to take note of. Whereas a lot of these places that we go to are, are famed fisheries or healthy places, but they got a lot of everything swimming in there. And so getting a head count, knowing we're after the bass. So that's, that's the main thing, but obviously finding forage and, and finding like, okay, there's there are tons of bluegill on this Creek or this end of the lake here. I'm making that note uh, over some other things that, that I'll take notice of. Um, and so one of the ways that I get those head counts is I'm a very, very big visual fisherman, um, even well outside of uh, the spawn. When you think of putting on your, your uh, polarized sunglasses and standing up and looking at them, I still like learning as much as I can from clear water. So usually if I'm showing up somewhere new, put me towards the dam, put me on the clearest, cleanest, deepest water near the lake. And I'm going to use my eyeballs a lot. I'm going to look and see how often do I see bluegill swimming around in the backwater? How often do I mark balls of bait in the deeper water and and how prevalent are they and and uh you know what what kind of bait is it and uh you can do a lot of that with electronics but nothing's more real than standing up and seeing oh there's a bunch of bluegill that just swam away because i saw them with my eyes because you know i'm in that clear water so i feel like i can get my clues that i want quickest by using my eyeballs now show up to a place that's muddy water or stained like across the board, Coosa River, uh, Lake Dardanelle, places like this. Um, you ain't going to see anything. You got to find like the, the very like few and far between springs to uh, hope to get your clues by sand. But a, a dirty water place, you got to go up and, and get your clues other, otherwise. So, um, yeah, if I'm showing a new place, I'm usually launching near the dam. Uh, going to where I can find vegetation, you know, pieces of, of, of cover and structure that should textbook hold some fish. And uh, just seeing how, how frequently you see life. Um, I, it doesn't need to be one type of fish or another as much as I just need to see that those fish are agreeing that this part of the lake, we are happy to be in for whatever reason that is. And that's going to change season by season. So um, between my eyeballs and my graph, I can usually get an idea of like, okay, there's at least this going on here. Now let's pack up, go to a different ramp, maybe mid lake. And then you have like a third launch, maybe on the complete other end of the lake. Um, and you can get a little bit of a sample. I like getting a sample of all the different areas. And then if, you know, if we're talking like a, a Hobie BOS tournament, we might get three to five days of practice in some are less, some are more depending on how it is. But, you know, if I can spend one day at each end of the lake and then use my other day or two, to hone in on where I want to, I feel most confident in committing my time to where I think I'll probably end up like fishing here for the tournament or man, there sure is a lot of good stuff here. It seems like something you can make something happen on, on this end of the lake. Um, that's usually how I do it. Now, if it's a one day thing and you only get maybe no practice or one day of practice, then you got to 
you almost got to commit to an area that kind of falls into your strengths and, and wheelhouse and then kind of break it down from there. And having a motor on the kayak is a lot different than not having one too. So these are all factors and variables that you got to consider. But it seems like most days, most guys have motors that are uh, probably listening to this or involved in our sport. So you can cover a lot more water than you could the last few years ago when, when the motors weren't quite as prevalent. And now with the advancement in electronics too, you're combining all these resources and you can actually break down water uh, pretty good, even if it's brand new or unheard of without doing any of the internet homework ahead of time too, which is a valuable part. Um, but yeah, those, those are the main ways I'll, I'll do it is uh, what I call getting the head count, seeing how many bass there are. Because uh, if it's a lake like Chickamauga where we're going to, or upon listening to this, it's where we're at now. It's a healthy lake. There's a lot of everything swimming in there. So it's not a matter of finding the area that has a dense population of fish it's finding the right size or uh you know the the right type of fish more than there's fish everywhere you know but th- those those are my starting considerations when i jump into it do you see justin why i thought adam would be a great guest number one because yeah yeah that that is some some juice man because i feel like there's a lot of people that myself included i feel like i've gotten somewhat more calculated when it comes to practice but uh they just kind of throw a dart at a board and be like ah this kind of looks good let's check this out ah this kind of looks good let's check that out whereas you have a a pretty good well put together system in regards to that makes a a lot of sense though starting at the if the fishery has a dam system to start there because there's going to be a tendency for there to be a lot of life if there's going to if there's to your point so you're a good judge of that yeah yeah i really like that uh that using your eyes that original live scope um I've, I've definitely tried to do that in some places. I don't, I don't do it every time, but there's definitely some fisheries where I'm, I'm trying to do something similar, but I've, I've never been able to articulate it quite as well as you did there. But I got kind of a a weird question off of that. I've, I've seen some guys and heard guys talk about using big swim baits in that clear water as a draw, uh, seeing, you know, where you're, you mentioned in practice, you're not necessarily trying to catch the fish. You're trying to trying to find them and locate them. Correct. Is that something that you've ever, ever done? Oh, yeah. And it works, too. Um, you know, throwing the big glide baits or even just a big soft plastic swim bait, like it draws them out. The glide's probably more than anything. Um, you may not get many bites on a glide bait, but boy, everything comes and takes a look at it and is curious about it. And uh, that's, that's actually, I'm glad you, you asked that question, Justin, because that's specifically using a big swim bait to get a head count to see who's hiding in a brush pile, hiding in a tree, whether you use that with your eyes or the live scope, it's going to draw them out. So whether you're looking at it on the graph and going, Oh wow, that uh, brush pile at 15 foot just pulled out six fish that otherwise I didn't see there. That's super. And you don't have to catch them. You just know like that, that, that brush pile had them and you, you do live scope and long enough, you'll, you'll learn what type of fish it is without seeing the fish yourself or have a pretty good idea that, Hey, that wasn't a catfish or a gar. That was probably something that I'm after. Um, but, Oh yeah, you bet those glide baits in clear water. It, it's just fun too. You know, it's, it's kind of like playing with a, a, a cat with a toy. You know, you can, you, there's, there's not a wrong or right thing to do with it. You're going to get some kind of r- weird primal reaction out of the fish regardless. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to uh, see. And it lets you know the response too. you know, like, are they, they on it hot or do they want to leave their piece of cover 
just for a few feet and then they peel off or are they on it the whole way? So it kind of lets you know maybe how uh, aggressive the fish are to chase a bait um, as well. But yeah, you got it. I feel like especially in the first half of the year when so much stuff is shallow, like you talk in the southeast, like especially by the time first of January or first of February comes around. Those fish, every or every warm stretch they get, are going to be looking to make a push shallow. And with each uh, full moon, as you get into March and April, like that's the name of the game. They're going shallow, and so uh, that's when I use my eyes more than anything. And I'm I'm looking up and seeing what's, you know, who are the first arrivals in in the early part of the year to to make their push shallow. And uh, yeah, the 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 big baits are, are a really good way to do that. And you're catching too. Go get those big bites doing it too. So I'm, good, good call on mentioning the, the glide baits there, Justin. It's a big part of it. Yeah, I hope I didn't drop drop anybody's juice or anything. But no, 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 no. It's something I've heard a number of guys talk about, and it's I've tried it a couple times, but I've never really. It's like you know, and I've talked to Bailey a little bit about the like I'm I'm not the guy to ask questions about live scope because I don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. But I, but I am kind of curious about it. Like you mentioned, like seeing bluegill with your eyes. Like, can you actually distinguish between some of the other species, uh, between bass and and maybe a a drum or a carp or? Yeah, um, the easy the easiest ones to me are crappie because the you'll especially when you first get into live scoping, you're usually scoping some brush piles or some some pieces of cover that a uh, crappie hang around. And so watching, like take a jerk bait, for example, a, a very common, if not the most common live scope bait for bass fishing. Um, the way that a group of crappie will follow a jerk bait out of a brush pile looks different than what a group of largemouth following it out of a brush pile looks. Now, you may still have, you may have big crappie and small largemouth that look kind of the same as far as the dot or what they look like on your screen, but it's how they react and the speed they move and how they turn. Um, you learn that over time from looking at that screen and seeing enough fish. That's what you understand. Now, when you start getting into drum, um, even walleye, we don't have a lot of walleye down here, but I've definitely hooked a few walleye and catfish thinking that, oh, there's, there's a nice couple bass hanging out there only to find out that you're better off with the taco than you are uh, catching that thing. But, um, the, the, it does take time. I'm still learning. Um, and it, again, it just depends on where you're at. Like Del Hollow, one of my favorite lakes. I, I always the way I describe it to my my clients or anyone that that, that that lake graphs so true. If you're a bass fisherman, if you think you're looking at a bass, it's probably a bass. There's not like striped fish. There's not hybrids or or stuff that are so prevalent in there that you're going to mix them up with something. Like I don't know, this could be some stripers. I just can't tell. That ain't the case. That that place graphs true. So if I see something that's even close to the size of a bass. That's probably what it is. Yet you'll go to like, uh, I don't know, let's let's say Watts Bar. Watts Bar, even though I haven't been there, it's my understanding that that is the land of junk fish, um, drum and catfish and everything except for bass that you really want to catch. Um, that's like, that's a place where, man, I'm marking fish everywhere. Doesn't mean it's the right one. And it's kind of tough to tell. And they're kind of eating the same bass baits too, especially the small minnow or craw profile stuff. So it's not always something you can do, even if you are really good at deciphering species using uh, electronics. But if you can tell between a crappie and a bass, that's the main thing. You can, you'll see, you know, you'll see a, a four foot long nose gar on there. And after catching one with that jerk bait that you don't want to lose that vision 110, that's when you go, okay, I'm making a note not to cast at those big long things anymore on my, yeah. on my live scope. So 
it takes time. I'm still learning, but I, I think everyone can uh, over time understand what, what they're looking at there on those graphs. Yeah, I'll, I'll add on that, Justin. Time is, time is definitely the biggest thing, but the, the cool thing about that is, and I'll speak from experience, I literally uh, just dropped the two videos from state championships past couple weeks on YouTube, and I was on this bite that was nomadic smallmouth in the early fall that are just out in these super deep saddles that are chasing bait. But what was cool is I found that walleye were out there and also catfish were out there chasing these bait. So it was super intriguing to see the differences between the two. One is speed and shape. And you can kind of see, you know, if you have your settings down, if you can see how that catfish is swimming or the tails compared to the walleye, you could see how one was kind of like an undulating where one was more tail kicking like the walleye you could see how they swim completely different where like a catfish would move faster than a walleye, but they would do like figure eights around your bait before they would eat. Whereas a walleye would just slowly rise up, hover at your bait for a little bit, then eat it. But it was a small mouth. It was more of like a taller skin or and shorter blob. And it would shoot up like a rocket after, after your bait. So it's, it's cool to learn that. Then afterwards you can waste less time. Like when you're identifying those fish, but from a practice standpoint to, to Adam's point, cause I love this idea of a head count when it comes to a new fishery. I think that's really smart. Whether you have technology or not, you can figure this out um, in that when you're doing so and you see forage, whether it's perched, crappie, bluegills, you can see if there's bass nearby and you can kind of get an idea over time and a control group of what are they leaning more towards? You know what I mean? If they're heavier on crappie, then if you can figure out where the crappie are relating to structurally, you might be able to find more high percentage areas, which I think that's a really cool part about it where people think it's just a fish catcher or a, I'm going to target one specific fish, which it can be, but it's also a great learning tool, especially in the instance that we're talking about. It doesn't even have to be a tournament. It could be, you know, you're going fun fishing a brand new lake and you just want to learn yeah. what to do and how they're behaving for sure. Yeah, that, life, that live scope can be, it can, it can be a snipe weapon. You know, you can pick off those individual fish and that's fun. And, and uh, certainly an aspect of using that, that tool is electronic. Then that it can also be the matter of elimination go, all right, no one's home. You pan over here, move over here. No one's home. No one's home. And there's a lot of just what I call knocking on doors until you finally someone's home. And so it's a lot of, it's just going, nope, 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 quicker than you could. Uh, if you were just out there without that technology. So w whether you're picking off the individual fish or just eliminating stuff, boy, it's valuable. You'll get there. You'll get there soon, Justin. Uh, people, they're like, I'm on the fence about Ladscope. I'm like, all right, if you want to choose to be behind and, uh, you know, not, like it, it is the future, whether you accept it or not, it is the future. And for now, let, let's, let's shift gears from there to the, to the folk that maybe they're not tournament focused, right? They're, they're just out there fun fishing. They're, they're the, the weekend warrior, if you will, that works the nine to five and wants to go fish their two 500 acre lake that uh, their, their live scope is the, their polarized sunglasses, as we, you mentioned earlier, where it's, it might be looking for surface action. It might be trying to look at, you know, listening to vegetation, things mm -hmm. of that sort. I think this is where we kind of get into like your, in, your in, instincts, your raw instincts, as an angler, and I'll kick it to you first, Justin, and we'll round out with you, Adam, on when you go to a new body of water, no electronics, what are, what are your senses first jumping to when you launch? I guess it, it kind of depends on, on some of the factors that Adam touched on. Um, I, I'm thinking time of year 
because I definitely in the springtime, if it's around the spawn, um, I'm not opposed to dedicating my entire practice to to just looking for individual fish. If it's if it's another time of year, um, it, it I, I, t- I kind of, I don't know, maybe the best way to say it is, is I, I, I change it based on the fishery. I like fishing grass. So if there's grass there, I'm, I'm looking for grass. Um, and then if there's, if there's not grass, I'm, I'm kind of looking at whatever the other prevalent cover is. I try to find water that, that sort of suits my style and, and go there if it's available. You know, some places like I've never been to Dale Hollow, but uh, from from what I've heard, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, it's deep, clear, rocky, you know, highland type reservoir. Yep. And I'm I'm guessing no grass. There's there's so surprisingly play, play. there's there's actually 15 foot deep hydrilla there. Not everywhere, but oh. that's that's one of the surprising elements and why Dale Hollow is so amazing because it actually has a good bit of hydrilla. That's cool. And Highland Reservoirs don't you don't normally have that with Highland Reservoirs, so that just gives it the extra special factor in my in my book. Yeah, if you it's might be getting some hate text after this, Adam. <laughs> what? Because people are going to try to target grass there for a tournament. Or yeah, something? yeah. There's an. I mean, it's not everywhere, so like you can you still got to go find it, and even if you find it, it doesn't mean it's the only spot there. So yeah, yeah. You can you can get you can get your teeth kicked in Del Hollow and not even touch or be around grass at all. So. I oh agree. yeah, for sure. Someone's sitting there though. They're sitting there because they probably found a bite on that hydrilla or something. They're like, gosh dang it, Adam, nah. stop talking about. <laughs> nah, they're good. They're good. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. But, so I, I guess for me, short answer: if there's if there's you know a potential spawn bite or maybe a post spawn bite with frog orders, I focus heavily on that. If there's a, a grass bite, I I go to that, and then I'll just try to pick. You know, if I don't really feel like the lake sets up well to my strengths i'll just try to find whatever i think you know whatever i think i can do best with there um you know whatever is you know like it might not be my strength strength but whatever i'm whatever is my least weak thing yeah i'm with that i i when it comes to that like i love going up to the adirondacks that we have here uh in new york because it's it's almost like a, a mini Minnesota, if you will. There's lakes everywhere, rivers everywhere. Some of them, it's like extremely hard to get to. It might be public land, but you got to like somehow get your kayak through a mile of woods to get to some of these places. But I love the just the fact that it's untouched, and I like to leave electronics at home when I go fish these. And it's but my my process of breaking down that water is usually. Matt one, obviously we're all looking at at least Google maps or Google earth when we're looking mm-hmm. at a place before we go launch for the first time, everybody does it. But usually after that, it's, I'm going to have a search bait or two that I'm just going to start going in a direction and I'll let mother nature tell me what's going on where I kind of don't have a calculated approach to it. It's probably not the smartest, but it's kind of like you just let the science come to you. If that makes any sense to you guys. It uh, does make but, sense. All right. And like you said too, the so much of the work, whether fun practicing for or, or you're just fun fishing or practice for a tournament, that that studying the satellite imagery and studying uh, maps while you're at home, that's the biggest part of it, or one of you know arguably one of the biggest parts of it. I definitely preach that to a lot of my clients that I'll take out that most of your work can be done from the couch at home. Um, but if I'm if I'm checking out a place without electronics in the first time. Kind of the other thing, like I can get the head count thing 
with a lot of help from electronics. But the other thing I like to do is I like to go check the extremes, meaning I want to find the skinniest, usually coolest in the summertime, especially backwater moving water spring. Like give me the, the most back there, the most kayak only thing that I want to check that extreme and then put me on the deepest, clearest, like biggest, most obvious point or the, the complete opposite of that where you're exposed. And from those two extremes, I can usually get a few clues as to, hey, I at least saw or caught a few fish, you know, out on that main point. But it was a ghost town back in the backwaters or vice versa. Um, so I like to, checking those two extremes and I'm usually able to rule out one of those pretty quickly and go, OK, I need to focus more on the back quarter or the back third of a creek because it definitely seemed like it was more popping off back back there than it was like out on the main lake for whatever reason. And of course, the more you're in the springtime, the more you're probably in, in the right mindset of staying in the, in the, the shallower, skinnier stuff. And then, you know, come uh, winter or summer. If you're doing an offshore thing, that's probably a, a good idea too. But without electronics, you can still, you don't have to know the exact water temperature. You can just know like, oh, I'm in the back of a creek and it's spring water. You can see that it's different. Again, going back to using your eyes and, you know, you can feel that it's cooler back there and you get out on the main lake and feel that it's like some bathtub water, you know, like, oh, there's, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a big difference here. Is, is, is the answer the in-between or is it the extreme for one of these two? So usually I like checking off one of those first, just like checking off an extreme, finding the one that I kind of don't need to mess with. That way I can give more attention to maybe only running the backs of creeks or only running main lake points or one of the two. That makes perfect sense. That makes way more sense than just launching and going. Yeah. And, and Bailey, your question kind of, it, it gave me a question because again, it's something that I've tried, but I, I don't always do. And I know I, I've heard some guys talk about driving all over the lake, like spending the whole practice day without launching a kayak. Um, and I can see like pros and cons to it, but I'm wondering what your guys take is on that. Is that, is that something you would ever do? Like you got to you got to have a day to kill. If you got a rainy day during practice, that's a good day to do it. Um, so you got to have the time to do it. Uh, you got to have the ramps that you can actually get enough clues from the ramp. Sometimes these ramps like lead, you know, without getting into specific examples, some ramps will have like a long channel and then it dumps out into the fish and water. So like a ramp mm -hmm. like that, you're probably not going to get too much of an idea because even the water right around the ramp is going to be unique to just that condensed little spot and not with the rest of it. So there's places that, that do allow for that type of scouting and practicing and seeing like, okay, from this ramp here, I can access at least this type of stuff. It's nice site. So that's a big visual clue getter is doing that, but you have to either one know that whatever clues are available, you can process those to make sense to your benefit, or there needs to be enough stuff there to even give you a clue to begin with to justify doing that or else you just, you do need to just launch and go fish when it makes sense, but in, a, in an area that, you know, a big lake, let's, let's say like Hartwell or uh, someplace with a bunch of skinny backwaters or just a, a lot of launches. Yeah. If you got that time, it can definitely benefit you and behoove you to go to uh, and check out all these different places and uh, just put your eyes on a ramp because even that ramp that looks good on the satellite of the map, you may get there and it may be inaccessible or, something about it ain't right. I can think of one ramp on Kentucky Lake that I was committed to for a tournament, got down there for a tournament day and a bunch of tweakers had set up and they're threatening to break into my car and 
smash up my ride and stuff. So, you know, and I didn't, I didn't go there beforehand. If I would have known that, I'd be like, okay, let's not launch at the tweaker camp. Um, so, Dude, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. it's not awesome at the time, but that, that's an awesome story. No, oh, that's just, that's the abbreviated story too. But uh, the, yeah, the, if I had the time, I usually need a whole day and it almost has to be like a thunderstormy day for me to justify doing that. Hey, I'm going to go visit every ramp or, or almost every ramp on, on a place. But I mean, there's plenty of guys that you, Drew Gregory so good at practicing without launching that kayak and he can, he can do some really valuable practicing without even actually launching. So there, there's, there's a skill to it. Yeah. And like you said too, that's pretty important in regards to certain locations, right. That have one, a number of ramps. Cause there's places like you mentioned, like a Hartwell, or even to say a Chickamauga, places like that, where that could be important, where if you fished the event on Cayuga this past year, <laughs> that style probably won't do you much good because mm. you pretty much like got to get out there and figure something out. Yeah. You look around and you don't you don't see much of it. You might be able to tell where most of the docks are, but you can also do that with Google Earth too. Or uh, maybe one, may, maybe uh, you're at a tournament and you've been practicing for days on end already, but you didn't get a chance to go to those few ramps that were on your mind. Maybe that's a good time to go and just put eyes on them to keep it honest and be like, all right, at least I, you know, because you may, you may show up and, and go, oh my gosh, this ramp actually has the type of vegetation that I've been looking for the whole time. Like, and you, sometimes you can tell that from without even launching. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I think uh, is a good idea to, to have especially if you got time or you're driving by a ramp and even if you weren't planning on launching there if it's on your way back to the hotel the airbnb or your place to eat that night might as well pull in there check it out even if you don't use it for that tournament you at least kind of have an idea for what it looks like next time around or i don't i don't run a trailer but those the guys with trailers like they got to consider what type of ramps are available for them to uh launch properly out there with with their their trailer and their, their setup too so yeah drive around to those ramps i, I would encourage it more than not yeah, and so another yeah, and in stride of that, you can kind of get a guess of where the popular ramps are going to be too. Big time. That's actually a really good point, and I should have thought about that too. Because how many times did whether it's guys going like, oh, we want to find out where so and so is, or you're like, man, I was thinking about being here, but it seems like twenty of the fifty people in this tournament are going to be launching here. So, and you don't even have to be on the water to know like, oh, I'm seeing all these kayak trucks and, and trailers here. So that's a really good point, just to kind of get a. Uh, uh, an angler head count if not the fish head count the angler head count yeah or i mean usually from from my eyes anyway i look at that where it's like if it's packed i'm like yeah i'm not gonna launch here because i hate fishing around people uh but i, I it's hard for me to wrap my head around that people will be like oh adam riser's here christine fisher's here uh, eric Siddiqui's here like we're gonna fish here obviously it's good because their their vehicles are here i can't wrap my head around that where if anything i'm like I don't want to compete at water for those people, so I'm going to go find my own thing. Yeah, that's you. Uh, I usually have the later sen- sentiment of like, oh, man, well, that roadbed out there, if Siddiqui's on that, I pr- or even if he's not, I know that that's like a roadbed stuff out there. I ain't trying to compete against it. Yeah. Um, right, riding a coattail, I don't see people doing it, so I really don't see that it's like too much of a thing um, as far as people actually. I've heard of a story or two and of an angler or two of some weirdos actually like doing that and you know following that vehicle, but um, I think it's more of a non-issue than anything. Most of the time, I'm kind of like you just mentioned. I go, oh, well, uh, there's three three hammers out of this ramp right here. So anything that can be caught out there is going to be pretty well caught, especially if we tend to uh, fish some of the same stuff, or if it's uh, you know, if it's just a 
one one or two lures, the, the kind of only thing you need to be doing. I'm like, well, they're, they've already got that taken care of. Let's go find something to myself. I'd rather have it to myself too. I think we'd all, we'd all would, okay. but I've had, you know, plenty of times too, where I've, I can think of two TOCs ago at Ufala, uh, myself and Jim Ware, I think all three days uh, shared the same cast, the same, the same hole for three days. And even though it's not the, the ideal thing to do, if, uh, sometimes that is the thing to do is to buddy up and do it. Yeah. I think we could count a few more occasions where we've definitely heard of people having to do that at certain locations that have the one cast deal. If you it's part of it. It's part of, and, and sometimes that, that thing can uh, get you one and two in a tournament, you know, first and second place come off of the same cast for multi-day straight. Sometimes it's usually not, usually have a good story with your buddy, but then it usually, uh, I'd much rather hear that story of like, Oh, it's covering miles and miles. And you know, the last minute I, off of that one dock, I got that one fish. That's more of an exciting fishing story and a fishing day to me than a, than a sitting there and doing it. But we got to do whatever gets us those fish, right? Don't matter. Yeah, second that. Here's a curveball, and I don't know. Maybe this is a dumb thought, but when you see all those guys at a ramp, how do you know that they're going to actually fish there during the tournament? Oh, you don't. I mean, I house with all these same people year after year, tournament after tournament. So uh, what I find out at the boat ramp, or what I see at the boat ramp, I can usually find out for sure. Like at the house, you know, then I tend to. I don't know. In uh, in my angler group, I call it the hotlines, the people that are on the phones all the time. And I ain't saying that in a negative context, but I don't like living on the hotline myself. Um, and so I try to intentionally like stay away from a lot of the chatter. But I mean, if you're having dinner together with, with a group of people, you're going to get a little bit of like, so you think about going out on there on Saturday or what you think? Did you crush them out there today? I saw, I thought that was you, you know, that kind of thing. Like, so there is going to be a little bit of conversation that happens regardless, but I usually, as far as the, like what you're getting at Justin is like, you know, what, how do you approach not stepping on toes and not getting your toes stepped on? And I think that if you're just a good communicator, both on and off the water, you ain't got to worry about that. And if you, uh, if you have a history of giving respect, you usually, have been commanded respect for yourself amongst your peers and anglers. And I found that the good communication and the established respect keeps me clear of any drama, any stepping on toes of the water, or if we, or if we do show up and found out like, Hey, we picked that same starting spot and we're both like excited about it. There's usually a good way to uh, communicate how to share it. Um, so I think a lot of, a lot of instances where there's drama or, or spot hopping on, on other people's stuff can is really just a lack of communication skills for some people um, when it, you know, it could be hashed out, especially when you approach things with a, a respectful mindset and you come, you come with respect and, and you, and you want to try to start off in the, in the positive and not in the negative too. So uh, how you approach people and where your mind's at when, when all that, I, I think you can fish wherever you want, man, like fish with a group, uh, it doesn't matter who you saw at a ramp or who you heard was going out or wherever. As long as you uh, are able to communicate what needs to be communicated and come with respect, you're going to be good no matter what, I think. Yeah, amen to that. And that brings up a, a good point. One of the show ideas I know Justin and I had is um, kayak fishing is incredible in the regard that it gets a lot of new entrants into fishing. And 
new people to fishing, obviously there's not a, a guidebook or a manual they give you when you go and join tournaments or even just fish in general of like on the water etiquette, ramp etiquette, tournament etiquette, things like that. Where obviously these aren't like there's there's specific rules, but then there's the you know the quote unquote everyone calls them the unwritten rules, if you will. That correct. You vet you know veteran anglers or at least anglers that have been around the sport for a while will understand um, having a show that can be centered around that. The big things to know, the things to remember, whether you're at a ramp or in a tournament, or even you're on the water in general and you're fun fishing, but there's another tournament going on. Things just to to be aware of because it, it's not to to the fault of the people that are new to the sport. It's just, if there's, if there's no one to teach you, then how are you supposed to know? It's so why it's one, so important. Like the, the grassroots clubs, like your, like your lowest and most entry level clubs are so important. And it's so important for the veterans of those groups or the ones that have been involved in those groups the longest to welcome everyone in with open arms and like make everyone feel welcome, make sure that no matter what age or who they are, or where they come from, that like, hey, no, there's no stupid questions in this. And that since there are, like you said, Bailey, a lot of like unwritten rules and like just etiquette and, and, and stuff like that. that that's why, uh, again, like welcoming people at the lowest level will set them up to be the best, you know, year, year two later when they do cross pass with you on that thing, on that, that fishing hole, they're going to be uh, educated with the, the respect and the knowledge on how to approach them. So I, I'm just such a big advocate of making sure that the people that feel intimidated about jumping into kayak fishing, or maybe they, they enjoy fishing, but they don't want to hop in that tournament. Cause they, there's, I mean, like, dude, if you look at the roster on our local club here in the Nashville area, like who, who fishes our club, like, it'd be easy to get intimidated by who's in that. So I think just making sure people are welcome is the number one thing. And then they will be receptive to whatever you need to teach them. Hey man, like if you ever cross paths with so-and-so or go, you know, this is how you need to approach it. So having some mentorship and uh, welcome and open minds go a long, long way for clearing out all that stuff. Yeah. 100%. Justin, you got anything else for Adam here before we let him go? No, dude, I, I appreciate it. It's a lot of good info that you you shared there. I know we went a little tangent-ish, if you will, in regards to breaking down a brand new body of water, but I think nonetheless was imperative information. Um, but Adam, is there anything you think we might be missing that folks should know when brand new body of water from just an open-mindedness? Uh, no, I, th I think we covered stuff that needs to get covered there. Uh, very grateful to be able to go into those tangents and to go kind of long form. Uh, that's why podcast uh, format's my favorite one. And uh, I'll just extend a, a congrats and a tip of my hat to both of you guys. Um, I'm a fan of both of you guys, what you do on and off the water. Um, and like, it's been really fun. Like I, I know I can learn a lot from Bailey and his offshore stuff. And one of these days, like we'll get the fun fish together instead of just running into each other at practice. And then, Likewise with Justin too. Like I've seen Justin in the mix a lot more this year, uh, especially. Um, it's, it's just been really impressive. And I get very excited whenever I know I get to rub shoulders with uh, high caliber uh, individuals and anglers out there. It makes me want to get out there and fish harder and uh, gets me excited about coming out to do it. So just appreciate that you guys are open up uh, another podcast format and uh, I will be a, an eager audience member uh, from here on out for sure. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, always good to learn from you. And I know this is not going to be uh, the last time you are on this show. I'm sure we will have you on uh, quite often here, here on out, but uh, Happy to. always appreciate 
knowledge, man. It's always a good time. Like you mentioned, running into you. I got to say, dude, you're one of the nicest people in regards to the kayak fishing space that I, I've met. Where it's, uh, dude, the, you treat everybody with, with kindness, but also like welcome them in. Like you might not, there was a time I remember, I think it was, I want to say it was even the Ufala registration for Hobie. And I could have thought you were best friends with the person. And then you shook hands with them as we were leaving. And you're like, oh, it was, it was great to meet you. And I'm like, hey, this dude's just a nice guy. That's all yeah. it is. But I just got to give you a little bit of praise there because uh, that's what kayak fishing is all about, man. So it's one of the. We're all, we're all people. We, we're in this sport where uh, we can have all kinds of different lives and differences and different worldviews and philosophies. But we all agree. We all agree catching a bass is awesome and uh, whether it's the stuff that leads up to it or the actual you know reeling that sucker in like it's kind of the best um i've done a lot of fun, fun things in my life and uh have a lot of good experiences and i'm very fortunate for that and i still struggle to find much things better than catching a bass so i, I say let's celebrate our commonalities which is we have fun catching bass could not agree more. Well, dude, again, thank you so much for joining us here. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, the first ever guest of Kayak Fishing Weekly. People give it up for him. But, uh, Adam, thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. See you out on the water soon. Yes, sir. Good luck on, good luck on Shaker Moto. Yeah, see you there soon. <laughs> I don't know, man. You got to go compete against this guy, that guy this week. Be a little, it's a little yeah. Little <laughs> take taking the wind out of my sails a little bit no 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 you you are there for a reason man and you'll be you'll be just fine but nonetheless uh obviously amazing information there from adam uh, and it will not be the last time he is on kayak fishing weekly because he is a foundation of the exact knowledge that you guys just got to hear and seriously one of the best people i have met across the entire entire fishing industry uh, I think I've maybe hung out with him once or twice at a registration, uh, and I consider him one of the buds uh, when it comes to the you know the tournament side of things and people that uh, I know I can mean we we've, we've maybe known each other a year and a half, but I know somebody that I can confide in uses a soundboard for some legitimate topics that uh, are concerning kayak fishing or just fishing in general, and uh, you don't find too many of those people, so I definitely appreciate it. But uh, and we're we're coming up on the last segment of the show here, the kayak fishing Kings and Queens of the week. It's a pretty good reception around the, the last show. I know there's some people that are pretty excited to hear about that, uh, being introduced into the show. And we obviously have another three for this week. The goal is to always have three. There's might be some weeks where we have four. There might be some weeks where we have two, uh, but there's always people deserving, uh, of some, a little bit of recognition. Um, and we're, we're always trying to spice, spice this up for you if you will so but let's get this thing started here eh? yeah let's do it could you could you even hear it <laughs> very, very faintly yeah of course i had my volume down but let's kick it off the second week of the kayak fishing kings and queens so justin like kick, it. Off. kick us off who do you have for first on our kayak fishing kings and queens of the week so first kings of the week for me, the guys at Uncle Larry's Outdoors. It's a YouTube channel. I don't know those guys personally, but they have got a video. It's it's not brand new. It's, I think it's been out for, I don't know, maybe six months. It came out earlier this year. 
But to me, that video embodies what kayak fishing is. It's like what I love about it. Um, I, I'm going to guess a lot of you guys have seen it, but Bailey, if you want to roll it, it is uh, it is an awesome fish catch. Like just kind of the raw emotion that's into it. Yeah. And then, I mean, these guys did you know kind of what I like to do. They found a remote body of water. They took some lightweight, simple kayaks, got them into this backwater, and just hooked up with an absolute monster. Yeah, well, let, let's roll it right here. Uh, we'll put the volume down a little bit because there were these really some screaming from Glenn. He was really, movie. really nice enough to send a whole bunch our way. Literally, shoot, the best I'm happy when I ever. get one like um, that. We're like, yeah, you know, watch, it might be a worm bite. Enough. I've been with you here today. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not yeah, a worm bite. I mean, it's not a quick pause. Like we talked about verbatim on episode one, where you can go out in a Walmart kayak, hundred fifty dollar kayak, and do these things. Obviously, some of these these rocket ships that we have now that we we have for kayaks, that that's a comfort thing, right? That's a that's getting down the rabbit hole. You can start here and you can finish here. It's it's you don't need the fancy gadgets. A worm bite turns out. Giant. Oh, giant. It's a giant. So. I'm a giant. I'm a giant. Dude, the screaming oh, gets me every giant. time. It's a giant, giant. For anyone that's listening to this down the road, that's just they're just screaming coming through their car. Uh, dude, if they haven't seen this clip, we'll, we'll link it down um, because also the Uncle Larry boys put out some incredible, just like authentic content that's just going back the days how we all started fishing where the passion stemmed from uh so honest to, to your point uh definitely a very deserving kayak fishing king of the week <laughs> i think that might be kayak fishing king of 2023 if i may honestly that was yeah like it, the clip of the year i don't i don't know that i've seen a, a a better fish catch video with with the emotion than that it's just it's just awesome i mean <laughs> if you want to if someone asks you says why do you fish just just show them the video. That's that's exactly. why. That's raw passion, man. I love that. So moving on to the second kayak fishing king of the week. We have a uh I decided to go with a fellow northeasterner, uh, a guy that's taken my money this year. Uh and he's had a pretty stout uh he, he shows up in these national events. He's done a couple like the Hobies and such. Always he's cashed. But in the northeast here. Uh, I'm going with Nick Audi. He's uh, a guy I've had the, finally the pleasure of of meeting uh, at a uh, elite kayak fishing event. Um, the dude won the Hobie Trail at Lake George. Or not Hobie Trail, good lord. The KBF Trail at Lake George. Won two elite kayak fishing events. I believe he won three last year. Um, don't quote me on those numbers, but the dude's a straight hammer. It's it's If he's in an event, he's going to be up there uh and he's one that i haven't seen a lot of national name recognition i think he's one that you should because as he gets more progressed into being able to take on the national trails i think he's one where it's a it's a lookout because the kid's stout you know when it comes to shallow largemouth get nasty and also when it gets offshore and whether it's scoping or just offshore smallmouth whatever he he's done it all and he's shown that he can do it all so um 
I'm gonna drop his social media down below in the description for YouTube and uh, the MP3 platform, so you guys can drop him a follow. Highly, highly recommend y'all doing that. That is second. Number two, round us out, uh, Justin. Who's the last one of the episode? Number three is. Uh, I don't know if 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 anybody's familiar with the Native No Limit tournaments. I've only fished one myself, but it's a really cool format. Um, they had one October 28th on Lake Fork one of the top lakes in the country, 124 anglers. And the guy that that took home the bacon, uh, Larry Hill of Texas, um, from what I could tell, uh, 178 and three-quarter inches uh, with 11 fish. And that was a couple fish more than anybody else caught. Um, so it was a, a nice cushion that he had there. And I, I checked out his his uh, Tourney X profile. Not sure if he's done anything on Fishing Chaos, but I checked out his Tourney X profile, and he's done a number of tournaments in the state of Texas. But from what I could tell, that's his first win, and that is a heck of a tournament to uh, to have your first win on. So congrats, oh, Larry Hill. Yeah. yeah. Round of applause in the uh, in the chats for Larry. That's that's awesome, man. Getting the first one out of the way is always the the road to many more, as they say. But nonetheless out and uh another week of your kayak fishing kings and queens of so uh man great episode today was good to get uh adam on here learned a bunch from him and uh you two i mean as people are listening to this the the toc is about to kick off and uh man i'm wishing you both luck i'll be keeping along and uh i'm wishing you uh the best when it comes this week and Either, either, you know, bring home first, or we won't see you on the show again. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> no pressure. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Bailey. It's, uh, yeah. Either way, uh, you know, win, lose, or draw, we'll we'll be back to talk about it next week. That's right, folks. Appreciate you guys again. Appreciate you so much for uh, obviously listening to episode two of Kayak Fishing Weekly. As we mentioned last week, uh, you can find us in every MP3 on YouTube. Uh, and if you're not already, please uh, give a rating and review on MP3. It'll help us out big time getting off the ground as we uh, bring more of these episodes your way every Thursday morning. But uh, as always, folks, appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, appreciate you listening to that episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If your application that you're listening to this episode on uh, allows it, please give us a rating and review. It helps us out big time, get shown more on the platform that you're listening to, and it helps us grow the show. If you get some time, check out the other podcasts on the Series Angler Network. And of course, have a great day.